Hi, I'm Jack, and this is Tuck In, We're Rolling, Queer Hollywood Stories. And this week, we're going to be talking about Marlon Brando and the way that he helped to reshape Hollywood masculinity. This is kind of a three-part episode, I think. This week, we're talking about Marlon Brando, and next week, we're talking about James Dean, and the week after that is going to be about Monty Clift. All three of them really sort of started this reshaping process of the way men behaved in Hollywood, and we're going to look at each of them in turn. So I debated how personal I wanted to get in the telling of this story. You know, this isn't a podcast about me, it's a podcast about queer Hollywood history. But the stories I'm telling from back last week to the next two weeks are going to be stories that really mean a lot to me. They're about things that have shaped me personally. And, you know, I could sit here and give you a very impersonal account of some of the things that Brando did and a list of movies that he acted in, but even the blandest of filmographies would still be painted because I'm the one telling it. And I think that six episodes in, you folks can tell that I'm not very good at staying objective or impersonal. Without going on a five-minute long spiel about myself, suffice it to say that Brando is another actor who I've been interested in since I was a teenager. He was maybe the first or second person that had me thinking, do I want to be this man or just be with him? And specifically, I'm talking about him in A Streetcar Named Desire. It was another one that we had to watch in school, and it was probably one of the first times that I was like, oh, thank God, I thought this black and white movie was going to suck, but it totally doesn't. This is kind of the first time that I was exposed to classic Hollywood film that I can actually remember. It's a Wonderful Life and Gone with the Wind notwithstanding, because one is on television every year and is unavoidable, and I absolutely hate Gone with the Wind. So basically... Cary Grant and Marlon Brando are the two actors that have been with me more or less throughout my formative years. Now that I've gone all the way off topic, basically what I'm trying to say here is the next few episodes are very dear and personal to me, and I apologize in advance if that clouds or colors my judgment or storytelling. So a little background information about Brando in case the only thing you know about him is how to do a Don Corleone voice and say, I'll make him an offer he can't refuse. He was born on April 3rd, 1924, in Omaha, Nebraska, into a family that had this sort of weird, wandering vibe to it. They were all really big into Eastern medicine, very big into civil rights. They were raised Christian scientists. His mother was an alcoholic for many years until she dried out and started some AA chapters. And he and his father pretty famously never really got along. He had two older sisters, Jocelyn, who's a pretty famous actress in her own right, and Francis. They moved around a lot from Omaha to Chicago and eventually to Santa Ana, California when his parents split. He went to Shattuck Military Academy in Minnesota like his father, but eventually dropped out only after the school board tried to expel him and then his fellow students rallied to let him stay, of course. Eventually, he followed his sisters to New York to try his hand at acting, which was something that he had always loved, and came under the tutelage of Stella Adler where he learned the method. He officially made it onto Broadway in 1944, and the rest, as they say, is history. Now, Brando maybe wasn't the first person to employ the so-called method, but I think he's certainly one of the most famous examples of it. For those of you not very familiar with it, basically the point of the method is to bring yourself into the role you're supposed to play. The very first tenet is don't act, behave. So when Brando would get a role, he would very notoriously and sometimes contentiously rewrite entire pages of dialogue. In On the Waterfront, he's almost entirely responsible for the contender speech that the movie is famous for. You know, he added his own touches to every role he got. He was very well versed in makeup and costuming, and he had a direct hand in Stanley's look in Streetcar, 
Uh, he worked very closely with the costume director in that movie to make the look of the working class good old boy perfect. And I think that's part of why his appeal is so widespread, honestly. Every time Brando was on screen or on the stage, it feels like he's bringing a little bit more of himself to light, bringing a little more of his personality to the forefront. So people feel like they know him even when they had no idea who he was behind the mask of his characters. And, you know, I really think this is when the general public started to maybe feel more like they knew their favorite actors to sort of blur the lines between the character and the person. And I think Marlon Brando holds such a place in the hearts and minds of film fans for a lot of reasons. You know, it, it doesn't matter what people talk about. All the bad jokes about him letting himself go in his later years to the stories about how difficult he was on set to some of the shitty things my new arch nemesis David Thompson said about people who employed method acting. The fact remains, Brando became a legend. My friends and I have a way of judging a, the character of celebrities that I think is a pretty good tool to use. Have they, at any point, stuck up for minorities, be it the queer community, people of color, immigrants, native people, you know, any marginalized group, not when it was convenient for them, but when it was actually a detriment to their career? You know, good deeds done for attention or notoriety aren't truly good deeds. Dolly Parton comes to mind. Uh, you know, she's come out in favor of the LGBT community over and over again, despite her conservative fan base getting in a snit about it. Um, I'm also thinking about Liz Taylor, who used to open up her home to people in L.A. who were going through treatment for AIDS and HIV and had nowhere else to go, but kept it as quiet as possible. And of course, I'm thinking about Marlon Brando sending Sashi and Littlefeather up to collect his award as an act of protest on behalf of the treatment of Native Americans in the film industry and by the American government. It was a publicity stunt, yeah, sure, but the thing that you won't hear about is that Brando had been getting arrested at protests demanding Native people be given their rights and their land for years. He once got arrested at a fish-in along with a group of Native people, and when the police wouldn't release the others when they released him, he went right back to the protest and got arrested again. I mean, he was one of a very scant handful of white people that were allowed to speak at Black Panther events. So... You know, it's really interesting to me that people tried to say that Brando only used declining his Oscar as a stunt to get notoriety, when really he was using it as a last resort to call attention to an issue he had been passionate about his entire life. And, you know, Brando really was a man of passion. I don't think there's a single thing he did half-assed. When he died, he left behind a massive library filled with books that he had written in the margins of, and crates of screenplays that he had edited and added his own dialogue to. The very first play he was in was about the Zionist cause in Israel, and he toured to raise money for the new country and to bring attention to what had happened during the Holocaust. And, you know, this is a really early example of Brando using his work as a platform to raise consciousness about social issues. Uh, he did a movie called The Young Lions with Mon Monty Clift, uh, where he played a Nazi officer, because he wanted people to see it and realize that the people of Germany during World War II were just ordinary citizens. He wanted people to understand the social impact here. You know, could they, with one charismatic leader and just a little bit of political propaganda, also be persuaded to lose their humanity and become monstrous? And I think this movie is incredibly important, especially in today's political climate. Marlon Brando was a fascinating and complex person. And I learned uh, most of this information from a book called Brando's Smile by Susan Mizrucci. I liked the book quite a bit, but I did take a few issues with it. 
She mentions that Brando was a victim of quote-unquote sexism because people saw his pretty face and assumed that he was an idiot. And I think she meant to say objectification. She also refers to Native Americans throughout the book as American Indians, which I disagree with for obvious reasons. Brando throughout his life referred to Native Americans incorrectly in his writings and in his impassioned pleas for justice on their behalf. And I think, you know, maybe Ms. Rucci was just referring to Native Americans the way that Brando did for the sake of clarity and continuity. But I mean, in that case, why not just make a note of it or make mention of it elsewhere? Why not, you know, just say, oh, you know, Marlon Brando referred to Native Americans like this, but I want to point out that it's not the respectful way to refer to them today. And I'm not going to refer to them as anything but Native Americans, just so don't be confused. But, you know, whatever, that's that's just my opinion. Uh, the Mizrucci book also mentions briefly that Brando met James Dean once and only once. And way back in my very first episode, episode zero, I mentioned that I had read this. Mizrucci says that Brando met with Dean and they had a conversation. And then when Dean died, Brando said that it was such a shame because the boy had real talent. I've since found a few photos of Brando and Dean hanging around with each other that basically proves that, at least in this instance, Ms. Rucci is mistaken. There's a lot of speculation about who Brando went to bed with, with fingers pointed at Dean, uh, Cary Grant, Montgomery Clift, and John Gielgud. The thing is, though, that Brando openly admitted in a 1976 interview for his biography, The Only Contender, that he did have some kind of homosexual experiences. Uh, he goes so far as to say that he's not ashamed of it, and he thinks it's kind of funny that people thought that he and Jack Nicholson were having an affair. You heard it here, folks. Brando himself confirmed that he was queer. I mean, okay, he had a lot of wives and a lot of lovers and a lot of kids. And I say again that he's a very passionate man. He's someone that really looked at life and was like, I'm going to make the absolute most of my time on this rock or die trying. But I'm saying definitively that Brando was one of us, queer as a $3 bill. The issue that comes up with him isn't whether or not he was queer or, you know, at least experimenting, uh, but who he hooked up with. A lot of this information seems like it's, well, I hate to call anything false, but I will say that it sounds incredibly bloated beyond the scope of what the truth might have been. Uh, despite the rumor that Brando had a weekend fling with Cary Grant, Grant is quoted as saying, I have no rapport with the new idols of the screen, and that includes Marlon Brando and his style of method acting. It certainly includes Montgomery Clift and that god-awful James Dean. Some producers should cast them all in the same movie and let them duke it out. When they've finished each other off, James Stewart, Spencer Tracy, and I will return and start making real movies again like we used to. Ouch, Archie. Ouch. Now, Cary Grant getting nasty with someone he was supposed to have had a relationship with doesn't really surprise me. He was pretty terrible to Ori Kelly after their split. Uh, but this goes way beyond what we would normally see out of him. And I, kind of ironically, he calls out the three people this and the next two episodes are dedicated to and talks about two more people that were also rumored to be gay or bisexual. Say la vie, right? And I'll talk a little bit more about the relationship that Brando supposedly had with James Dean in our next episode because it is juicy. But now that I've confirmed that Brando was queer, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about how he was instrumental in the reshaping of Hollywood masculinity. So if we think about the kinds of roles that Brando played when he was younger, and I'm thinking very specifically of Terry Malloy in On the Waterfront and Stanley Kowalski in Streetcar, 
He's playing these men that are vulnerable and moody. They're very much overgrown children. James Dean and Monty Cliff played similar roles in their films. Uh, they're these sort of sheepish, complicated characters with a lot of emotion and, and nowhere to put it. Uh, they were lovers, but they weren't lovers like Clark Gable or Errol Flynn. They were on the fringes of society, but not like Jimmy Cagney or Humphrey Bogart. Brando, Dean, and Clift were part of this new wave of actors that came from the Midwest, betting all their hopes and dreams on being in the movies, but acting like they were too cool to care about whether or not they were famous. They played small-town boys with big dreams, and they notoriously played, toyed with the press. Their sexuality was speculated on and about, and their appeal really was without limits. Now, if you think it sounds like I could be describing actors like James Franco, Ryan Gosling, Tom Hardy, or even if we go way back to before he was a bloated abuser ruining my childhood in Harry Potter movies, Johnny Depp, then you're right. You know, I'm not James Franco's biggest fan. Uh, I had a friend back in New Haven who worked with some of the Yale repertory dancers, and a few of them got to know him when he was attending Yale back in the aughts, and none of the stories I heard really endeared him to me. But, you know, I think to me he's just a weird, harmless stoner who's trying really hard to cash in on being a weird, harmless stoner for as long as he can. And I'm not saying the man can't act. He's very, very talented. But you can pretty much draw a straight line from Franco's pretentious comments about his art to the way that Brando used to torment interviewers. You know, Gosling got turned into the Hey Girl meme, and Tom Hardy's been dodging questions about his sexual history for as long as I've known who Tom Hardy is. I mean, Brando was quoted once as saying that he didn't really think of being an actor as art or anything. He looked at it like a job. And if that quote sounds familiar to you, it's because Ryan Gosling said almost the exact same thing a few years ago. And I'll be straight with you. When I read the article that compared Brando Dean and Cliff's vulnerable masculinity to the likes of people like James Franco and Christian Bale, I almost threw up in my mouth. And I think it's because I look at contemporary actors like that and I think to myself, Christ, you know these guys get high off the smell of their own farts. They just seem so pretentious to me. And, you know, maybe one day I'll meet James Franco and we'll smoke a bunt together and he'll prove me wrong. But I also don't think I could look him in the eye knowing that he has to watch his own movies before he hooked up with, hooks up with someone. You know, okay, I'm getting off topic. But, you know, I think it upset me at that gut level because of that. But when I posted up the article uh, to my Facebook, my absolutely amazing friend Ricky pointed out that it seems kind of stupid to him that Clifton Dean had been dead for at least 50 years and Marlon Brando wasn't playing the moody, sensitive young man for at least as long, but we're still expected to trip over our own feet because Tom Hardy might have touched a dick once and James Franco sneers at the work that's provided him with millions of dollars and the kind of artistic freedom to openly mock a communist dictator. You know, Ricky went on to say that these parallels didn't address the toxic parts of this quote-unquote new masculinity and that it only allowed for certain emotions in certain spaces made or expressed by certain kinds of men. This Brando masculinity really doesn't account for men of color, trans men, queer men, and it's great that Brando got the ball rolling, right? But it seems that it's totally anachronistic and a little absurd that contemporary actors are still trying to hang on to that streetcar, rebel without a cause, from here to eternity, nihilism in a leather jacket. You know, it's important. Yes, it is important that the ball got rolling. And fuck yes, I think that Brando, Dean, and Clift are important actors in the 20th century. But 
Do I think it's necessarily healthy that there are still people basing their entire persona on them? No, it's performative masculinity at its peak and performative masculinity, even the nonviolent kind, is still toxic masculinity. It's really important, I think, to look back at the characters in the films that I just mentioned, all played by method actors, and kind of inspect their character traits. Stanley Kowalski used sexual violence as a means to an end. Jim Stark ended up surrounded by dead bodies because of an innate desire to conform and also impress. And Robert Pruitt ended up dead after an almost compulsive desire to prove himself turned fatal. And, you know, even the actors themselves are cautionary tales. Brando was the only one of the three who lived well into old age. You know, Dean died in that car wreck and Cliff died from a heart attack after a lifetime of alcohol and drug abuse. And maybe back in the day, these expressions of alternate masculinity were actually directly going against the grain and they were revolutionary. But today, the same kinds of shows of bravado and swagger are just tired. And maybe that's not James Franco's fault, you know? Maybe that's society and the media still expecting so little from famous men that they think masculinity stopped evolving when Marlon Brando moved away from playing moody young men and into the more austere, dramatic roles that we sort of tend to remember him for. But that's not really fair, nor is it realistic. Maybe if we expected more from contemporary actors than being flip about their sexuality and being self-deprecating about their careers, then we could start to move on from the so-called Brando effect and onto something more constructive and beneficial for the world at large. James Franco, please sponsor my podcast. Thank you so much for listening to Tuck In, We're Rolling Queer Hollywood Stories. This episode was written, recorded, edited, and researched by me, Jack Segretto. Special thanks this week to Nessa for editing my script and Ricky for adding invaluable commentary to the discourse. You know you can still come on to the show anytime you want. So you can find a transcript of this episode and all of our episode along with uh, movie and book recommendations and some fun facts and photos on our Tumblr, tuckinpodcast.tumblr.com. You can also give us a like on Facebook at facebook.com slash tuckinpodcast. We accept messages on both of those platforms, so please feel free to shoot us any suggestions for show topics and comments you might have. We put out new episodes every Wednesday, and you can listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Google Play. Please don't forget to rate and subscribe to us. Uh, we will be back next week with an episode about James Dean and the power of legacy. So we will see you next time.